We've set aside five Sunday evenings to think about who Jesus is. We've called it putting Jesus in his place. Uh, so these are, they're not just, this is not just a message. This is us working with the scriptures, seeing the deity of Jesus Christ, the Godhood of Jesus, that he is indeed, Jesus Christ is God. So we've been using this little handy memory device, five separate lines of evidence that bring you to the same conclusion that Jesus Christ can be no one other than God. So we've thought already about the honors that are given to Jesus Christ or the honors that are given to God. And if he is not God, then all that is blasphemous, of course. That was our first one. And then we saw that Jesus possesses all the attributes of God. We see that in Jesus. Last time we thought about the names that he bears. He shares the titles of God. It would be absolutely utter blasphemy to describe a human being, even a special human being, even an angelic being in the way that the New Testament and the Bible as a whole describes Jesus. So we're coming to our fourth stream of evidence tonight, which is that Jesus performs the deeds of God. Okay? So let's think a little bit about the divine work of Jesus. But I want to zone out for a little minute and just say, you know, in a nutshell, here is what the Bible, how the Bible presents God to us. He is the one who creates and sustains everything. Okay? He is the one who speaks with absolute authority, ultimate authority. He is the one who saves his people from their sins. And God is the one who is the judge of all mankind. That is how scripture presents God to us. Creator, sustainer, sovereign Lord, the only savior, the judge of all. But, in a nutshell, the Bible and the New Testament in particular, of course, presents Jesus Christ to us as the one who creates and sustains all things. The one who speaks with absolute authority. The one who saves his people from their sins. And as the one who is the judge of all mankind. Jesus is creator, sustainer, sovereign Lord, saviour and judge. So that's the sort of territory we're going to work through tonight that will bring us to the unavoidable conclusion that Jesus himself is none other than God. So, we're going to start with 
Jesus as creator. So, here's the central tenant of the Old Testament and of the, the Jewish religion. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And this is the consistent message of the Old Testament that only the God of Israel, only Yahweh, is worthy of worship because he is the sole creator of all things. For example, Isaiah 44, verse 24. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. It's difficult to imagine a more emphatic and explicit statement than that. Yahweh is the sole creator. And this, of course, is reaffirmed then. It's when you come to the New Testament. For example, Acts 4.24, when the persecuted believers start to pray, what do they say? They say, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So, Old Testament, New Testament, God is creator. The God of Israel, Yahweh. But what the New Testament adds, what it then discloses to us, what it draws out for us, is that Jesus, the eternal Son become man, he created all things. John 1 verse 3, speaking of Jesus, there's no doubt about it, the word who was with God and who was God, who then became flesh. This is what is said of him in John 1 verse 3. Through him all things were made that were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And I've put the other references up there. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6. Colossians 1.16, Hebrews 1 verse 2. Absolutely clear-cut statements that Jesus, the eternal Son, is the creator of all things. But what I want to show you, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 1, I want you to look at verse 8. And as we studied Hebrews Recently, remember who this is written to, to Jewish background believers steeped in the Old Testament, the Word of God. Hebrews 1, verse 8. The writer is quoting the Old Testament scriptures. So in verse 8, you see, but about the Son, he says. So we're talking about the Son, we're talking about Jesus Christ. And what do we read in verse 10? He also says, 
Now, this is a quotation. It's vital that you see this. The writer's not freely composing this. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. That's describing in Psalm 102, Yahweh, the God of Israel. But New Testament, who is it describing? The Son. This is applied to the Son. The logic is irrefutable here. Yahweh is the only one who brought creation into being. Jesus is the one who brought creation into being. Therefore, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus performs the deeds of God. He is the creator. And I'm not going to take time to develop this at length, but we know, of course, that God did not bring about this creation and then just leave it to its own devices. That's the sort of God, the deist God, where he sort of, he winds the clock up and then goes away and just allows it to run by itself. That is not a Christian understanding of God. He not only created everything, but he sustains everything. And the chorus is perfectly accurate when it said he's got the whole world in his hands. And the term that is used to describe this God's ongoing activity of sustaining the universe and directing it towards its intended goal, that's what's called providence. And the New Testament ascribes this work of sustaining the universe of providence, it ascribes it to the Son. Colossians 1 verse 17. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But the clearest statement of all, I suggest to you, comes in Hebrews 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Can I suggest to you that the conclusion is unavoidable? Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all all things. Jesus performs the deeds of God. So that's the first line of evidence. Secondly, Jesus is sovereign Lord. Jesus speaks with absolute authority. But hold on a minute. We know that it is the sovereign Lord 
whose word carries final, ultimate, absolute authority. That's what the Old Testament teaches. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Your word, O Lord, block capitals, Yahweh, God of Israel, your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Of whom? Could such a description be given of their word that it is eternal, sovereign over everything other than God? Stands the reason, doesn't it? But we turn to Matthew 24 in the New Testament to verse 35, and Jesus of Nazareth says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so in the New Testament, we get to listen to the voice of Jesus, the Son of God. And whether he's telling a storm to stop, peace, be still. Or he's telling a demon to depart, come out of him. Or whether he's commanding a disease to disappear, be whole again. The word of Jesus reigns supreme in any and every situation. It's absolutely vital to see the uniqueness of Jesus in this regard alongside every other man who has ever lived, even holy men, even great servants of God. See, there's many today who would ask you to believe that Jesus is sort of just another first century Jewish rabbi or prophet. And in, in one sense, they are right. Jesus quoted scripture. He used parables. He had students. He, he asked and answered questions. But in absolutely fundamental ways, Jesus did not speak like any rabbi or prophet. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21, 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Who said that? Who said do not murder? God. Listen on. But I say to you, and Jesus then goes on to expand and draw out the fuller meaning of what God said. Who else could talk like that? And I'm sure you've noticed, you maybe have noticed this, but not thought through the implications of it. Prophets generally introduced God's message with what sort of formula of words? You read it over 400 times in the Old Testament. Pardon? Well, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to. How many times do you read where Jesus said, or read about Jesus where it said, the word of the Lord came to Jesus? Many times did Jesus say, thus saith the Lord, and quote scripture in that way? None. None. 
His authority was innate in that way. 145 times we read in the Gospels, I say to you, Jesus speak, speaks with absolute authority. Jesus' voice is the voice of the sovereign Lord. No other man, holy man, prophet, whatever, priest, king, spoke in the same way that Jesus speaks. He speaks as God with ultimate authority. So creator and sustainer, sovereign Lord. Thirdly, saviour. The only saviour of mankind is God himself. He alone can grant salvation to sinners. That's the consistent message of the Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah 45, verses 21 to 22. I mean, listen to this. There is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there's no other. That much is crystal clear. But there's no truth more central to the New Testament than this. Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinners. Acts 4 verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. God is the only Savior. Jesus is the only Savior. Therefore, Jesus is God. And the two main ideas that are brought before us in the New Testament description of salvation are these. Number one, the forgiveness of sins. And secondly, the reception of eternal life. But let's just think for a moment how these essential aspects of salvation are presented to us by thinking of a couple of examples. We have the story of the sinful woman who anoints Jesus in Luke 7. And in verse 48 and 49, the onlookers say, Who is this who even forgives sins? Because Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Or an even clearer example comes in Mark 2 with the paralyzed man. Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And those on looking at that time, they say, you're blaspheming. Who alone but God can forgive sins? And then Jesus says, well, what's easier? To forgive sins or to say to that man, rise up and walk. But so that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, up you get. Jesus shares the divine prerogative and performs the divine work of being saviour, of forgiving sins. But salvation is also presented in the New Testament as possessing eternal life. To be saved means that the very life of God himself has been imparted to the sinner. And this happens as the Holy Spirit 
comes and takes up permanent residence within the believing sinner. So God grants, imparts, shares his own life with us. That's what salvation is. We possess eternal life. We know God in relationship. And what does the New Testament teach here? Answer, it is God who does this. And it is Jesus who does this. Yes, it is God the Father. Oops, sorry. It is God the Father who uh, sends the Spirit. John 14. Jesus says, the Father will send you another comforter. But then in John 16, in the same conversation, Jesus says, and I will send him to you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 33, we read, this is the day of Pentecost, Peter preaching, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit who has been poured out, and that's what you now see and hear. Jesus bestows the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus imparts God's own life to sinners who trust him. So what have we seen so far, brothers and sisters? Jesus is creator and sustainer. Jesus speaks with absolute authority. Jesus saves his people from their sins. And finally... Jesus judges all mankind. Remember all that we said the Bible presents God is doing? We now find that Jesus is doing. And now we're focusing on what Jesus will yet do according to the Bible. Jesus performs the deeds of God past, present, and future. And again, there's two main elements to Jesus's work as judge. The first is this, Jesus will raise the dead. We were singing about that earlier. And once again, this is self-evidently the prerogative and the work of God. As Abraham put it so many years ago, God is the judge of all the earth who can be trusted to act rightly, Genesis 18, 25. But come to the New Testament, and we read that it is Jesus himself who ensures that all men, righteous and unrighteous, will rise again from the dead. John 5, 28, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, that is the voice of the Son of Man, and will come out. Those who have done good will rise to life. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And this is what is spoken of in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And we now see with the New Testament perspective that this divine activity of raising all men to appear 
in judgment before God that it actually is the activity of Jesus himself. Jesus will command the resurrection of all men. And it is Jesus who will sit as judge of all. The judgment of men lies exclusively with the God-man. John 5, 22 and 23. These are quite staggering words, and I began the series with this verse. These verses. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. It will be the case that all mankind, believer and unbeliever, will face Jesus as judge and will honor him in that. For the believer, it will be a searching but fundamentally safe encounter. For the unbeliever, it will be an experience of devastation when they are faced to force the consequences of their choice. By compulsion, they will encounter the one who died for them that they might be saved, but for whatever reason seemed important to them in life, they refused him and rejected him. It will be a day of reckoning for all unbelievers. Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus, the risen Savior, is then the presiding judge. And his resurrection is the divine summons served upon all mankind. The resurrection performs that function. It is God's summons through your letterbox of your life that you will appear before him, the God-man. So, the deeds he performs. We're talking about Jesus now. I've demonstrated that from Scripture. Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of all things. He speaks with absolute authority as sovereign Lord. He is the only Savior who forgives sins and grants eternal life. And he is the judge of all mankind who will raise all men from the dead and who will assign eternal destinies to them. I asked this question on the first night. 
Remember, we had the funny, the, the, the musical introduction with your own personal Jesus. I want to ask the question, is the Jesus that we believe in matching up with the Jesus that the New Testament holds before us? Is he the one who is receiving all the honors of God, who possesses all the attributes of God, who shares all the names of God, who performs all the deeds of God, and as we'll see next time, who occupies the seat of God? Let's make sure that we don't have a plastic Jesus who just fits in with what we want them to be. This is the Jesus who must be put in his place. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.